the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA, because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Monday right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Short show today, 40 minutes up until Red Sox baseball, and then it's an ALCS rematch between the Red Sox and the Astros. The Astros come in incredibly hot in this one. They had won 11 in a row. (laughs) <laughs> going into Saturday's game. So they're in two very different places right now at this point of the season. But our pregame show begins at 6:10. The lineups will give you beforehand. We will have part of a conversation today with UVM men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft. He'll be with us at about 5:45. Talk a lot of NHL and Bruins there. They're lost to the Hurricanes. That's right. If you've ever complained that I don't talk enough enough hockey and enough NHL hockey and enough Bruins. This one is for you. At 5.45, I will be talking hockey today. We've also got some notes on the Red Sox in the 6 o'clock hour, but uh, you can always get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville, and you can always get in on the Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and the live stream on Twitter as well. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... And here we go. 802-585-3026 is the phone number, and the opening thoughts here are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Bruins come up in about 15 minutes. Why? Because we start with the Celtics. The Celtics are headed to the Eastern Conference Finals. I had them winning in six. It took seven to get rid of the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks, but they did it yesterday in a big way in Game 7, winning 109-81. to Up next, the Miami Heat with play beginning tomorrow on South Beach. Before we even get to any highlights of the game or anything, there's two things that I just want to point out. One, Ime Udoka deserves a ton of credit for a gamble, maybe rather a position that paid off. And two, the Celtics were able to win that game yesterday and ultimately win this series because they were the anti-Milwaukee Bucks. I will explain. Let's get to part one first. We need to recognize that yesterday, the Game 7 win... It doesn't happen if not for the stance that Ime Udoka took at the end of the regular season. Ime Udoka decided that his team was going to play it straight. They didn't want to tank games at the end to manipulate the playoff seedings or the matchups or the standings. Yesterday does not happen if they don't take that stance, if he doesn't take that stance. We all talked about it. We all thought about it. Nationally, they were thinking about it and talking about it too. If the Celtics tried to avoid Brooklyn, if they had done that, the Celtics would have gotten the three seed, Milwaukee the two, and Game 7 
would have been in Milwaukee, not in Boston. Ime Udoka deserves massive credit. He did not duck Brooklyn. He ran to them, and his team swept them. And as a result, they get the two seed, they run through Brooklyn, and then they get Game 7 yesterday at home. And his team knew how important that was. Just listen to Jalen Brown after the win yesterday. Super important that we play the Game 7 on our own floor. I think our, our crowd, our energy, definitely we fed off that tonight. Especially when you have you know guys like Peyton and Grant who you know get into the game and feed off the energy of the crowd. It's different if you're in a different arena. So having home court was huge for us. Ime Udoka deserves a lot of credit. He could have very easily manipulated it so that he avoided Brooklyn in the first round. He didn't. He went right after Brooklyn. He ran to them and his team swept them. And then subsequently, they got Game 7 in their building in the second round against the defending champions, and that was huge. He deserves credit. Number two, Celtics win that game yesterday because they were the anti-Bucks. The Celtics empowered their other players. Well, yeah, Jason Tatum shouldered the load in a legendary Game 6 performance. Game 7 was much more of a collaborative effort. For Milwaukee, for the guys on the other side, it felt like they only had one answer. And that one answer was more Giannis. I saw Colin Cowherd tweet it you know, at halftime. The only way Milwaukee wins is if Giannis takes 25 shots in the second half. That's what Milwaukee needed to do. For the Celtics, it became about trusting everybody else. Peyton Pritchard had 14. Grant Williams had 27, including a career a career high seven threes in this win for the for the SEs. To the Kumbo down the lane, off the crossover to the rack, lay it up. No, he missed it point blank range. Too hard off the window, cleared by the Seas. Up the four to Williams, left wing three. Oh, mercy again. Grant Williams did that seven times yesterday. His coaching staff, his players, they empowered him. His teammates, they all empowered him. I give a lot of credit to those coaches and to those teammates because empowering him to take those shots, it's not easy necessarily. It's not easy to give up control or to take away control from your best players and put it in the hands of your role players. The Celtics were willing to do that, and everybody was on board with it. Here was Ime Udoka after the game. I told them let it fly. Uh, they're disrespecting you more tonight than earlier in the series, and that was the plan on him and other guys and really shifting and making them try to beat us. And, you know, you saw it on the first one that he made, and then he missed a few and got a little hesitant, and I basically said, shoot the ball. Like, what else can you do? So stop driving into the crowd, you know, make the take the shot that they're giving you. And he broke Steph Curry's records for assists, or I mean, I'm sorry, attempts in the game seven. So he said two Charlotte shooters. <laughs> you know, he's going to gloat about it for sure. So Ime Udoka says we told him to shoot. What else can you do? Jalen Brown said the same thing. I told him let it fly. That's the wrong one. That's basically the same clip there from uh, – from uh, Ime Udoka. Do we have the Jalen Brown one? Yes. I told him he has to shoot it. I, I know like that's what they want, but it's a wide open shot. He's a good shooter. And the way they were guarding us, they were taking away, you know, some of the things that 
are my advantages when I'm driving to the paint, trying to be aggressive. So if they're off that far, either you got to shoot it or you got to go into another action right away. So Ime Udoka says, I told him to shoot it. Jalen Brown says, I told him to shoot it. I read a great story about Daniel Tice, who told Grant Williams to step up and keep shooting. Williams deserves the credit for making the shots, of course. In a huge game, he stepped up. That's a career-defining performance for Grant Williams. But his teammates deserve credit as well for that trust and for that empowerment because it's not easy to cede control. It would have been very easy for the Celtics to put everything on Tatum, for the Celtics to ask Tatum to give them a star effort yet again. That's what Milwaukee was doing with Giannis. It would have been very easy to try to repress Grant Williams' game. Grant Williams was 2-for-14 from 3 over the previous four games of this series. The Celtics did not try to repress Grant Williams. They encouraged him. They empowered him. They believed in him. And I think that that really deserves to be commended. The head coach and the guys on the floor, they said, look, you can shoot these. Take them. Make them. And we'll move on. And that's exactly what happened. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. And by the way, let's all just call a spade a spade. If I'm Milwaukee, I I can't be mad at what happened yesterday. I can't. I can be disappointed that I lost. Of course I'm disappointed that I lost. But I can't be upset at how it went down. We always say, right? Right? It's a cliche talking point for every sports talk show in the entire country. Can't let X beat you. Milwaukee didn't lose yesterday because Jason Tatum went off. Milwaukee didn't lose yesterday because Jalen Brown went off. They lost yesterday because the other guys went off. I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with that if I'm Mike Budenholzer and his staff. Frankly, if I'm him, and if I'm Giannis, and if I'm Drew Holiday, I'm far more mad at what happened in Game 6. I did lose that game because Tatum went off. I lost a 3-2 advantage. I forfeited home court. I I had a chance to close it out on my home court. That is the game that is going to stick with me. All offseason, if I'm Giannis and Budenholzer, Game 6 is the one that I can't forget. Game 7, you tip your cap. You go into that game and say, Jason Tatum is not beating us again. Jason Tatum didn't beat you. Grant Williams did. Peyton Pritchard did. We always say Bill Belichick, right? What's he do? Well, he he makes you play the game left-handed. That's what the Bucs tried to do yesterday. It just didn't work. But you can't be mad at at the thought process. You can't be mad at the methodology. If I was a Celtics fan and I go into game seven... I'm, I'm saying I can't let Giannis beat me. I cannot let Giannis go for 50 and win this game. I got to make life tough for him, and I got to see if the other guys can beat me. Can Brooke Lopez beat me? Can Pat Connaughton beat me? Can Grayson Allen beat me? They were able to do it in game one of the series. Could you do it in a game seven? That's exactly what I would say if I were the Celtics. Well, the Bucks tried it. It was the right thought process just didn't work and the Celtics are now going on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Will in Plattsburgh says the Bucks definitely miss Middleton. Of course they do. 
I don't know that the Celtics win this series if Chris Middleton's not playing. I said Celtics in six all along. I thought Middleton was going to be out the entirety of the series. He was. And frankly, if he had been fully healthy, I probably would have picked Milwaukee, but he wasn't. We knew that they were going to miss Middleton. If they had Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday, they're a far different team. The minutes that went to Grayson Allen, the minutes that went to George Hill, if they're going to Chris Middleton, it's a far different team, far different lineup. But that wasn't the case, right? If you're the Celtics, you, you don't apologize for that, right? The Raptors didn't have to apologize when 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 Durant got hurt, the when, when Clay got hurt. You don't have to apologize for things like that. You play who's there, and Middleton wasn't there. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Celtics win. That's great news. Bruins lose. That's awful news. They're out in the first round to the Carolina Hurricanes. I'll tell you why. If I'm a Bruins fan, I'm nervous today, and we'll check in on the NHL playoffs with UVM men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft. That's next on DEV. Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Thank you very much, Field. Brady Farkas Show back right with you here on this Monday. Red Sox baseball comes up at about 6-10 here on WDEV. Sox and Astros hoping we get this one in with no issues. Obviously, rain here. There is rain there as well, but no word of any delay yet, so we will send you out there at 6-10. Bruins ended their season on Saturday, falling to the Hurricanes in Game 7 of their first round series in the NHL. You know that I don't pretend to be an expert on hockey. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert now. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to insult your intelligence. I'm, I, I don't have all the answers on everything that Carolina did to the Bruins in this series. But what I do know is this. If I were a Bruins fan, I would be worried right now. Because this offseason creates a really hard dilemma for the organization. You can run it back with this core. And you can take another shot at it. But you risk staying at the party far too long and having things unravel around you. Or you can get out early. You can sell off some of the pieces. And you can always wonder what could have been. And that's a really tough spot to be in as an organization and as a fan of an organization. Patrice Bergeron is an unrestricted free agent. He's 36 years old. If you elect to keep him around until the wheels fall off, you run the risk that the wheels will fall off. You could get older, you could get slower, and you could miss out on bringing in someone younger who's a more long-term answer. And... If you let Bergeron go, you do risk him leaving and going to another contender who's a rival of yours and beating you. It's a hard decision in terms of what you do. I know Bergeron today said, I don't want to play anywhere else. He may mean that. And in two months, with a clearer head and not emotional, he may think differently. If you bring back Bergeron, your team is probably better, but maybe it's not. Maybe the wheels do fall off, and now you're left with an aging player who's more expensive than you want. That's a tough decision. And then there's the David Posternak question. He's going into the last year of his deal. Are you going to be able to sign him long-term? 
Does he want to stay long-term? And if he won't re-sign with you, if he won't talk about it before hitting unrestricted free agency, are you forced to trade him away in some kind of preemptive strike so you don't get nothing like the Islanders got nothing when John Tavares left and went to the Maple Leafs? What do you do with Pasternak? You're going to try to re-sign him, obviously. He's going to want a huge deal. But if he won't engage with you on it, how do you handle that? Do you do you go one more time and see what happens and risk losing him for nothing? Or do you sit back and say, we, we can't get nothing. We've got to move him. Jake DeBrusque, he asked for a trade. You got him for a two-year deal now. Are you still going to are you going to try to trade him like he wanted? Your team gets worse if you do. You also have no first-round draft picks right now. So if you're all in, the future is really not clear. Aging Bergeron, Pasternak's situation is up in the air, and no first-round picks. If you back off it and say Bergeron can retire or he can leave, we're going to trade Pasternak, we're going to move to Brusque, well, you're, recoup you're getting assets for the future, but you're always going to left wondering what could have been. It's not a fun position to be in if you are the Bruins, management, or their fans. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I spoke earlier today with UVM men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft. We had a 15-minute conversation. It was a great talk. You're going to hear part of it now. We talked a lot about his brother, Jay Woodcroft, who's the acting head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. They're moving on to the second round to take on Calgary. So there's a lot of stuff there in that interview about his brother and how he watches the games, etc. The full interview is available on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Here we go exclusively on the Bruins, a continuation of what we were just talking about. I simply started out by saying, Coach Woodcroft, were you excited? Were you surprised by how it ended for the Bees, how physical Carolina was, how up-in-your-face Carolina was, and the Bruins had championship pedigree. Are you surprised by what happened? I watched uh, almost every single one of those games and, and kept notes on them because I love the way that Carolina plays. Their, their attention to detail, their sticks are so good. They're so structured, so disciplined. I, I'm a Bruins fan now just because I live around here and everybody else is, so I don't want to get in trouble <laughs> with anybody, so I'm cheering for them. I know a couple guys on the team. Uh, I watched that last. It's a one-goal game, right? Like it, that's the the margin of error there. I know that Pasternak scores that one late, but that's a that's a one-goal game. That's how close it is. I think the Bruins are so well coached. I think Bruce does an amazing job. Uh, they seem to have a really good connection with their players, and and it's almost like Bruce doesn't have to say much. They just know how to play, kind of like San Jose when they were so good for so many years. The coaching doesn't really happen on the bench. It happens kind of behind the scenes and the game starts and you just let these superstars play. Um, you know, I, I think with Carolina being such a disciplined team and their sticks, and you mentioned physicality, like I don't see them as like running guys over and steamrolling guys with body checks, but they're in your face all the time. And yeah. they're deer on top of you and give you no room and their stick is right on the puck at all times. And anybody who ever came to watch us practice, they would be – probably amazed at how much we talked about your stick and how you try to smother people with your sticks like Carolina does so well. If you are the Bruins now, you are at a crossroads. The the Marchand and or Marchand and Bergeron are getting older. Bergeron is 36. He's an unrestricted free agent now. What do you try to do with a roster like that? You're certainly good enough to be in the conversation, but you have to step back and 
Now, I wouldn't say rebuild, but like, would you let Bergeron go potentially because of age? You have to reimagine the way you're doing things. I think Don Sweeney is a, is a very, very smart general manager, and he's surrounded himself with Hall of Famers like Cam Neely. And I, I don't know if Ray Bork's involved in there very much, but if, if he's telling you something, I'd be listening to Ray too. And, and when you have somebody like like Patrice Bergeron, those those people don't happen very often. Like You're talking Steve Eiserman, Joe Sackick, like the real leaders of not just a team, but of a city of a brand like you think of the Bruins and I think of Patrice Bergeron I, I was lucky enough to be on a team when he was 18 and he came in and he had played a little bit in the NHL and then he came and was on Team Canada in 2004 he was 18 years old and I remember specifically thinking how mature this young man was like he's such a leader you knew that he would be the face of a franchise very soon I personally would do anything I could to keep Patrice around um you know, you think of the greatest players and they go on a different team and you're like, I don't know if I really want that guy in a different team. I, I think Bergeron should retire as a Bruin. I think that it would be very important to the city to keep him around, even the new young players that they have coming up. And they got a pretty good staple of rookies uh, knocking on the door to get in. So I, I'm pretty sure that everybody around there would want Bergeron to be around as long as he can be. You know, it's interesting. Tony Amante was on NBC Sports Boston last week and he actually said that he thinks Bergeron is done in Boston and he thinks he could go to Montreal. Now, he's from Quebec. His old agent is the GM now in Montreal. Could you see Patrice Bergeron not only leaving but going to the Bruins' biggest rival historically? I was surprised at that because Tony is a Massachusetts guy, right? Like, And, uh, you know, I was very, very surprised when, when, I, heard, uh, when I heard him say that. Um, and it's a story. Like, it could very well be true. Like, Hughes is the GM and I wasn't aware at that point until I heard that, that he was Patrice's agent um, and the draw of him being from Quebec and playing for his, you know, his home province would be a very big draw. Patrice has got a bunch of kids. They're all entrenched in Boston. Like there's, there's a family pull to it too. I would personally be surprised if Bergeron would be allowed to walk by management ownership, stepping up and saying, what do you need? What do you want? And even Patrice, like his team is a lot closer to winning maybe than Montreal is, but maybe the, and I think Montreal is building this thing outstanding. Marty St. Louis being there has brought fresh air. I think they're on their way up, but I think that Boston is probably closer to winning the Stanley Cup again, uh, maybe than Montreal is currently at this point. I think Montreal is going to get there um, and everybody, they want to win. So the draw of maybe being the face of the franchise in Montreal and coming in and maybe being an appointed captain. I don't know what's going to happen there, but that might be something that's uh, interesting to Patrice. Yeah, Marty St. Louis, UVM guy, the interim head coach in Montreal also. I wouldn't be surprised if he got the job full-time. Um, have you talked to him at all since he took that job? Is that a connection that you guys have? As a coincidence, I called him this morning about something <laughs> else. And I was waiting for him to call me back. And, um, you know, when he got the job, I didn't bother him. I know the, the stress that happens as soon as you get the job. Um, you know, I've sent him notes. Uh, we've talked earlier in the year on the phone. We did we did a Zoom on something uh, right around November, December. He's been such a friend to the program. I think he's probably pretty aware that, like, Bergeron is the face of the Bruins. I think everybody would probably say that Martin is the a, is a face of UVM hockey. And, and for him to be an advocate for us, it's such a it's such an advantage for me personally, and I think for the team as well. He's a, he's a real gentleman. He, he cares deeply about the team, 
And uh, I, I'm asking for something from him today, which I hate asking people for stuff. I'm asking him for something from today, and I'm pretty sure that he's gonna he's gonna say yes right off the bat. Let's talk about your program now. We're in the off season. We're two months ish since your last game, the playoff loss to Providence. What exactly are you working to accomplish this off season? We know recruiting is the stock answer, but what exactly are you looking for in your recruits, and what's kind of going on behind the scenes for you guys right now? Well, recruiting is such a weird. Uh, you know, environment to be in. Like you have to even recruit the recruits that you have. So we lose two to one against Providence on that Wednesday night. At the next morning, uh, I drove right right from the. I didn't even go to the hotel from uh, from the Providence Arena. I went right to Logan and I flew the next morning at five thirty in the morning to Minnesota to go and kind of like keep our recruits. Like go and see. We had some recruits playing and, and I went to watch them and show them a little bit of love. Uh, and you have to keep recruiting even your recruits. To, unfortunate part of college recruiting is that sometimes people will come in and and take your players uh, and whatever anyone thinks that's not important in this part of the conversation but you have to make sure you keep your your people happy so you do that by showing them some love so we've done that we've kept our relationship strong with the players that are coming in we've had lots of people coming on campus to visit uh, we're worried about three years down the road right now so steve yeah. wheeler and scott Mosher, our assistant coaches are like pounding the pavement. They're out all across the country right now watching uh, the future of Catamount hockey. We're very specific. We don't sign a lot of players um, like some programs do. And we've decided that we want to be very specific about our identity. So we have very few people committed and that's exactly the way we want to have it. We know which identity they're going to fit, who they're going to be when they get here. So I think especially Steven Scott have done a phenomenal job. We've got a lot of really good players coming. That was part of my conversation with UVM men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft. The full version is available again on our podcast channel and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Coach Woodcroft, very popular on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Steve over in Faston. Thanks uh, for talking hockey, loving listening to Woodcroft. Really agree with what he just said about Bergeron. Uh, Todd Woodcroft had several years as an NHL assistant coach who was with Winnipeg right before he got to UVM and was on a Winnipeg team that was, you know, he deep in the midst of the Western Conference playoffs when he was interviewing for that UVM job. So he's had you know more than a decade of NHL experience. Again, his brother, now the interim head coach with the Edmonton Oilers. So when Todd Woodcroft tells you something about the NHL, you should listen. And when he says Patrice Bergeron is basically irreplaceable, I certainly take that to heart. But it does beg the question for the Bruins, are you all in? Because if you're all in, there's risk with that. There's risk with that when you come to the age of Bergeron, 36 years old. Do the wheels eventually fall off? The age of Marchand, the, the miles on those tires, and then the Pasternak situation. It's easy for us as fans to sit here and say, go all in. The organization's got to look at it differently. But I am with Coach Woodcroft that Bergeron is a guy who you wouldn't want to see play somewhere else. And to his point also, for his part, Bergeron said today, I don't want to play anywhere else. We'll see if that is the case here in a couple of weeks. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. We'll get you ready for the Red Sox. That's next on DEV. Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line. So reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Red Sox baseball comes up five minutes from now. This is the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school, online at prodrivercdl.com. Red Sox and Astros, again, about five minutes from now. Red Sox are coming off a series in which they take two of three from the Rangers, and we have to give them credit. They did exactly what we asked them to do. And if we're going to bag on them for screwing up everything they've screwed up, then we have to give them credit when they do what they're supposed to. We said that if this season was going to turn around, it had to start with Friday and the 10 game, you know, the the 10 game stanza of the season, 3 with Houston or 3 with Texas, 3 with Houston, 4 with Seattle. You have to do well in those 10 games by winning 2 of 3 against the Rangers, you have set yourself up to accomplish what we asked. This is a period that the Red Sox can go 6-4, and four, and if you start playing 600 baseball within every 10-game stretch, that's the best you can ask for in trying to get back into this thing. You win two in Arlington, take at least one, at least one of three against the, against the Astros, three of four against Seattle, I think, is very realistic, and you would accomplish that 6-4 and four goal. And you saw some good things this weekend. You can't get it all back in one shot. It's got to go bit by bit, series by series, and you can't get to the playoffs without winning individual series first, and the Red Sox did just that this weekend. J.D. Martinez has a 16-game hitting streak. Rafael Devers had multiple hits yesterday. Production out of first base finally this weekend. There was good stuff there. Now, life is going to be a lot harder for the next three days against the Astros, but if you tread water... If you can just tread water against the Astros, you can set yourself up for the potential special 10-game stretch that we asked you to. Red Sox come out. They win the first two Friday, Saturday in Arlington. They beat up on a Rangers team that is not as good as them on a team that cannot pitch. That is what you're supposed to do. Win one of three here and then win the series against Seattle. That's going to be crucial. But the Red Sox did exactly what we asked them to. The Astros are just absurd right now. Just absurd. They had won 11 straight. They won two of three this weekend against the Nationals. So I think what is it, 12 of 13. The oh, where'd the music go? Thank you. The Astros are 23 and 12. The Red Sox are 13 and 21. It's Jake Odorizzi on the mound for Houston. Garrett Whitlock on the mound for the Sox. Odorizzi's 3 and 2 with a 3-3-8. Whitlock 1 and 1 with a 2-1-9. The lineup looks fairly familiar for the Strohs. Jose Altuve is in second, hitting 259 with seven home runs. Michael Brantley's in left. Alex Bregman's got 22 ribbies. He's in third. Jordan Alvarez has 11 homers. He hits cleanup. Yuli Gurriel is at first. He's the he's really been struggling, but heating up a bit of late, hitting 248. Kyle Tucker is in right, the power hitting young outfielder. Chas McCormick's in center. Jason Castro is the catcher and recently acquired Mauricio Dubon. Just acquired in a trade. He's at shortstop hitting 234. For the Sox, Kike Hernandez leads off in center, still just hitting 169. Rafael Devers hitting 324, plays third. J.D. Martinez, the DH. 
Xander Bogarts is at shortstop. Alex Verdugo is in left. Trevor Story is at second, hitting 196 now. Franchi Cordero is at first. Christian Vasquez does the catching. And Jackie Bradley Jr., he plays right field and dons the honors of hitting in the nine hole. Again, it's Odorizzi against Whitlock here. J.D. Martinez, the guy I want to spotlight quickly. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, 16-game hit streak here for J.D. He has been great. He's had a hit in every game dating back to April 19th. He's had a hit in every game since then. Thanks to Todd Woodcroft for stopping by. I'm Brady. Brady Farkas' show is out. Red Sox baseball is next.